my name is Durant Kreider, and there we go. Uh, I serve in Virginia, and our church is in Chesapeake, and part of a community transformation organization called Serve the City Chesapeake. Uh, I want to take a, just a quick survey of people as you're coming in to see kind of who we have here. Um, how many of you would say that you have what, what you would call uh, an established, and I'll use the term community transformation organization, that you're already working with? Could I see your hands? Okay, maybe it's a, maybe it's a drug rehab, maybe it's a food distribution, maybe it's a, something else that, that you might, okay. Um, how many of you would say, I'm really, really new to this, I have no idea why I'm here, but I want to reach my community? Could, could I see your hand? Okay, great. That is, <laughs> come on now, you, I know you better, I know better than that for you. Um, but it's, it's uh, the, one of the reasons why we're here, all of us, is because God has called us for one reason or another to see people's lives changed. And it's not, when we say community, it's sometimes easy to think of them as nameless, faceless people, like, oh, my city of Chesapeake, it's like those, we want to see the city of Chesapeake transformed. Yes, we do, but what does that mean? We want to see the people, every single person, the least, the lonely, the lost, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that our city reflects the kingdom of heaven. So hopefully on this journey, we're going to hear from some just dynamic people today, but I want to take this to the Lord in prayer, and would you join me with your, the people of your community in mind? Lord, would you open our minds, our eyes to see who you see, to see them as made in the image of God, and to see the full potential that you see for every person, and then Lord, would you impart something to us that is very tangible that we can go with to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Our ears are open. Holy Spirit, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Rusty? Yeah, thanks, Durant. Uh, well, my name is Rusty. I uh, am from the city of Akron, Ohio, um, home of LeBron James once, and we don't claim that anymore. We don't, we don't claim that. Uh, that's right. That's right. They took the poster down and everything. Um, I, I, am, uh, I serve as the founding director of the Akron Dream Center, um, and I have the privilege to introduce our speakers today, and you guys actually don't know this, but um, Brad and Stella were I actually... I hope I'm supposed to not know this, but... <laughs> no, no, it's, it's good, I promise, it's good. Um, Brad and Stella's story was actually inspirational in us starting the Dream Center in Akron. Um, it was actually, I heard you guys share your story um, at a conference in Baltimore like three or four years ago. And that next morning, God just hit us with a tidal wave of download, of vision for the Dream Center in Akron. We just knew that's what we had to do. So um, it's kind of cool to introduce you guys. And I'll just read a quick bio, and then I'll quit yapping, and we'll let them do their thing. But um, I'm just going to read it because it was written really good, and I can't say it any better. So um, it says, Brad and Stella were both part of the L.A. Dream Center's leadership for over 10 years before they moved their family to New York City in 2009 to become the lead pastors, directors of the New York City Dream Center with two small kids. Uh, the Dream Center provides hope by meeting both the tangible and spiritual needs of those in New York City communities. The Reeds, along with their four beautiful children, live in Harlem, 
where they serve the needs of the community and several of their community and several others throughout the city. The mission of the New York Dream Center is to walk alongside people right where they are to where God dreams for them to be. That's awesome. Brad and Stella will be sharing about how our churches can present the gospel in word and deed as we begin to understand mercy and justice. Listen to this. As an integrative ministry front of the local church. I love that. Integrative ministry front. So guys, without any, uh, without any more, would you, would you welcome Brad and Stella? Wow, Rusty. Thank you, buddy. I'll, I'll give that to Stella. Can I give that to Stella? Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. The four beautiful kids thing, I, I didn't write that, but that's up for grabs. You know what I mean? Like, we think they're beautiful, you know, but you never know. You know what I mean? Every so parent you does. You want to add a little bit more to that, a little bit, yeah. give them a little context, kind of how we got into all this? Yeah. So just a little bit to understand kind of where we came from, just a little bit. Um, I went to the Los Angeles Stream Center right when it was opening for the most part. I graduated from high school, and I went directly there just to be a basically a missionary volunteer uh, right there. I moved there in 1997 and um, started working in the ministry there, started volunteering, then became the youth pastor um, for the Dream Center in Angeles Temple about two years later. And so I did that for 13 years. In the midst of that, um, Brad and I met, um, fell in love. Uh, we started group homes in Los Angeles uh, with the Dream Center. And so I met because Brad worked for me. And so he was running my... <laughs> married up into... I did. I dated an employee. No, no, uh, we were running uh, group homes for youth coming out of Youth Authority. Uh, And uh, so that was a ministry that started at the Dream Center because a teenage, uh, a mom dropped her teenage daughter off pretty much at the Dream Center and said, I don't know what to do with her, take her. And that's basically when we started the whole thing of uh, some teen homes. And so we met because we were running, he was running the boys' home. uh, And so we met, fell in love, and then began to run the ministry, the youth and adults, and all the, the youth community center and our teen homes and youth pastoring the youth and young adults of Angel's Temple. And then in 2009, under the leadership of uh, Pastor Matthew Barnett and Tommy Barnett, uh, they approached us with the opportunity to come to New York City. And so we have been in New York City. Uh, we moved, landed in Harlem. They asked us, and six weeks later, we landed in Harlem. Not a strategy, by the way. No, like and we had been to New York City one other time. There's <laughs> and, a lot wiser people out there that yeah, can teach you a lot Yeah, so if you want to know that, there's plenty of our workshops. We can tell you that wisdom. But we will tell you our, our journey on that. So we have been doing it now for 10 years in New York, um, and it has been a beautiful journey, and we are loving every bit of it. And I can say 10 years in as we begin, I can say this. I love our city more than I did 10 years ago. I love what we get to do more 10 years ago. And there is something beautiful about staying committed even when you don't know what you're doing. Something beautiful about just digging your roots deep where you're at and listening and learning what it will take to reach the community God has called you in. We've not figured everything out yet. I can honestly say that. And if you come and visit, you'll go, oh, yeah, they really haven't figured everything out yet. But I can honestly tell you this. You stay rooted and you stay committed to a community that God calls you in and you begin to listen. You will begin to see needs met and the miraculous begin to happen. And so that's what we're going to hopefully really begin to talk with you guys about for the next little bit. And then have some um, time of Q&A afterwards because we hope to be able to answer as many questions as you want. And if the time doesn't allow, Brad and I will be stay and we'll be committed just to answer any questions afterwards that you might have and help you go. For those of you that have a really heart to maybe even start a Dream Center or various things like that, we would love to be able to answer any questions as you might have. that you guys can feel like you have left equipped and ready to be able to maybe go about any kind of compassion, justice, and mercy ministry for your cities. 
Yeah, that's really good. Uh, let me give you a little outline. Uh, I'm going to kind of share. We're talking about integration here, and I'm going to and I'm trying to I'm going to try to do both. I'm trying to do two things. I want to share a little bit of a, of a quick theology of why it needs to be integrated into the church, not a parachurch. Okay, like now I'm not going to say we don't need parachurch. We need it, but we need to look at it as something that we. It, it, by the way, this is our humble opinion about this, okay? So you can take that back and pray about this. But I want to sh- present a case to you why this should be integrative in all of our churches. Like the thought of like what Pastor said, of actually being involved in communities, okay? So whether we're doing it or we're partnering with the partner church ministry or with another organization, like the, the church needs to be involved in that. So I'm going to share a little bit about what is the gospel and then how does the gospel actually, if that really is the gospel, then how, how does it, the implications of that should be reaching, far-reaching, not just in our church but into our community, and then I want to share some practical stuff, okay? And then we'll do some Q&A time. I want to make sure I get through my stuff quick because I actually think in these classes that's the most productive is the Q&A because there's questions you have uniquely that my little talk and spiel is not going to do. Okay, so let me ask you this. How many of you are pastors of a church? If you're pastors of a church, can I see your hand? Okay, well, quite a few of you. Okay, that was really helpful too. I was actually going to do that. It was really helpful to get a fill of the room of who is doing what. So real quick, let's dive into... Uh, what is the gospel? Uh, I know this, by the way, I know a lot of you are smarter than me, you know more than me, so please don't be offended by this, that I'm starting such an elementary thing. Uh, it is interesting, though. Uh, they've done a survey here uh, where they actually, a uh, Christian organization actually put people to test and asked them what the, what the, I mean, this is pastors and leaders and ministry people, and asked them what is the gospel, and there was not a lot of clarity about it. There was not a lot of clarity. You would think something so unique and simple wouldn't get so so messed up, but the truth of the matter is we need to be able to clearly articulate what is the gospel, what is not our religion or our take on it or our viewpoint, but like what does scripture really say the gospel is, okay? Uh, just a couple little quick things. First, first of all, the gospel is good news. It's not instruction or advice, okay? It's really important we understand that, right? Like this is not like, hey, 10 best ways to do something or that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. Um, the, the, I love this, this thought of, um, it came from that word, the Greek word that means evangel, right, the, this good news, and it actually was news of a historical event that changed the listener's condition, and I love this, and required a response, much like a king coming into, into power now. So maybe you've heard this, right? Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. In other words, there's like a new leadership in town. Like we just, we just voted on a new president. Right? So there's a new kind of presidential coming into Foursquare. Well, like that was the good news. Hey, there's a new Caesar. There's a new king in our neighborhood now. And his kingdom oversees the kingdom of what we see right here. And that's really, really important, guys. Okay? Uh, the other part is it's secondly, the gospel is not, it's, the gospel is about grace, not about merit. Okay, you're going to see why this is important. I know some of you are like, you might be in your mind, if you're cynical like me, I'm a New Yorker. I, I've gotten where I'm cynical a lot of times. I'm like, where's this guy going with this? You know, I get this. Um, this this is, has huge implications on how we do actually mercy ministry. Because if we're not careful, we think that we're the good ones helping the bad ones. Right? And we really, But when we really truly understand the gospel, it actually affects the way we can serve our community. Um, it's, you know, uh, this was huge for me. The gospel is, I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And so this should be shaping the way we do ministry. This message of the gospel, I, one of my mentor guys, John Thomas, he, he, he says the gospel is this. He says, 
the gospel is that through the righteous life, death, and resurrection of Christ, I love this, God is remaking the world. Right? He's remaking the world. So we know the shalom, that's the, word, the Hebrew word for peace, right? That we all want to experience that deep peace in our lives that so many of us have experienced because of Christ. He said we should shalom in our hearts and our heads and our relationships. Notice, notice the implications here. It's not just to have the peace of God in my heart. But the gospel is actually spread to now to my head, right? To how I think. It's affecting the way I think. It's actually affecting my relationships now, my marriage, all the relationships in my, in my... It's actually bleeding over into society now and actually bleeding over in the way I even treat nature and interact with nature. Taking our corruption and guilt away and adopting us as his righteous children and by the power of God's transforming grace working in and through us so that we gradually become more like God. I love this. More like what God already declares us to be. Isn't that beautiful? So, here's the thing. This is why I'm saying this stuff. There's a little of a... There has been in the past a little bit of a divide. This room's a great example, right, of this kind of like thought. There's a huge kind of chasm in the between, and there's two sections, you know. Um, there's been this divide a little bit when it comes to mercy and justice, and it's kind of like this. Um, we do word ministry, and we do deed ministry, okay? Uh, we do proclamation. We do service. So I'm glad you're in this service stuff, but we proclaim the gospel. Or other people are like, well, I'm glad you, you're all talk, but we are people that do service. We put our money where our mouth is. And it's, I'm, I'm trying to lean in and say it's not either or, it's both and. Okay? And are you, or it, it can get even a little more political, right? Like in the church where we're a conservative church, we focus just on Jesus. We're a more liberal church. We don't actually want to convert anybody. We just want to help people. Right, and I think this is like really deeply perpetual, like got itself down in here. But I think actually our democracy actually fails us on this on this point, because we're not actually a democracy; we're actually a kingdom. And now the kingdom of God has actually entered into our relationships and entered into our world. And this is why it's really important for us to get this uh, clear in our heads. I'm going to give you a um, uh, my little clicker's not working here. Can you change that slide? Uh, go back, right there. Oh, I'm going to give you this little diagram, and I want to encourage you. Uh, if you come see me afterwards, I can actually give you a diagnostic to see where your church or where your ministry might fall into. I've done this myself. Uh, this little plot thing, because this is where you see uh, most people, the fronts that most of our churches are involved in. What I mean by that is this. We have like our evangelistic process, reaching the people in evangelistic worship. We come on Sundays and we worship together. We, 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 we lift up God. We, you know, I'm not going to get into all the details of the theology behind that, but I think this is very common for us. I think we could all say we're very familiar with this thing, right? The other side is community, discipleship. The other part of this would be like church planning. Here you have community, deep community. We've got to make sure that we're, if, we're, if we have the right tension, then we, we're creating deep community. We're, uh, we're really reaching in there. People are coming to know God, and they're, and they're deeply being discipled. They're not just like resting, but they're actually moving into the, into be conformed. I love that uh, John Cole quote. He says, listen, if, you're, if your people it does, you know, aren't moving towards radically, uh, radical obedience, it doesn't matter how good your praise, preaching, and your, in your, in your programs are. Right? We need to be moving towards discipleship. And I think these two are things that we're really familiar with, but I think it leaves us a little anemic when we come to a full, robust, gospel-believing church. And I think these, this one here is something that I actually... Um, 
if you were to say me, this is where, if, if I'm, I'm, I would plot my church like this. We're pretty heavy over here in this zone. Um, we're okay at this. I need to be a little bit better, a little bit shorter in my preaching. <laughs> and uh, we're okay at this. Here, we're anemic. And this is not why you came to class today, but this is just a, you can just add this to a little bit. This is cultural engagement. This would be like, how do you integrate your faith and work in your people's lives? Like, people go to, like, think about this. People that go to your church right now or go, are in, involved in your life, your own life, most people spend 70% of their time in their work, and most of us don't have any uh, type of structure to disciple people in their work lives. So, in other words, 70% of their lives they have no discipleship for. That's just the other stuff before I do the real stuff. And the gospel wants to penetrate that area. Okay? But here's the other part. Mercy and justice is part of this balance. In other words, that the gospel has so transformed us that we're actually reaching into the community, making a difference. Um, I'll talk a little bit about this in a few minutes. I, I really focus on mercy. I'm not very good at justice. And there's a difference. Mercy ministry, we'll talk about this in a second. Mercy ministry is giving and helping and serving and, and, and binding up. Justice is about structures and about changing things. And those are, those are two, they work, symbi- they work in symbiosis, but they're very different. Okay, and, and we have to make sure that, like, like for me, I live in East Harlem. Um, I don't feel like I'm the spokesperson, being a white male, the way I look right now, I look like the guy next door. I'm not going to lead the justice movement in East Harlem, right? But I can partner with people that lead the justice movement in East Harlem. Does that make any sense? Okay, so th- let me give you to another way. Um, I, this is, um, I got to spend a lot of time with Alan Hirsch. A lot of you might not know who it is. Alan Hirsch is an Australian missiologist. He, um, he, he wrote the book, Forgotten Ways. He wrote the book, uh, 5Q, and he talks about Ephesians chapter 4.11. Anybody know what Ephesians 4.11 is? Right? He's given some of us to be apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, and teachers, right? And some people argue those could be the same thing, whatever, but that's not what this class is for. Uh, but one thing he says, he says, he says, these things are used for the building up of the church, so that we may all reach maturity in Christ. That's what the church is for. We need all these. We need the apostolic anointing flowing in our church. We need the prophetic flowing in our church. We need the evangelistic spirit in our church. We need shepherding and pastoring going on in our church. And we need teaching going on in our church, right? That, so that we may not be tossed to and fro. These are things we all realize. But one of the things that I think has been a, a drastic problem is we've looked at the prophetic only half, halfway, See, the prophetic deals with two different issues. Now, some of you teach on the prophetic better than I am, but this was, is was a huge shift for me. Because uh, one of the things I have a heart for is trying to help ch- churches see that this is not something that's an initiative. This should be something that's at the bedrock of who we are. If you look at the prophetic all throughout Scripture, the prophetic always deals with, number one, God wants to know about the integrity of your heart. Right? If you, any of you that have read the prophets, you know it's like, hey, you're doing this and your hearts are far from me. You're going here and you're not, you're, not in, you're not involved. You're doing something, but your heart's not connected to it. Right? It's always about bringing you back. To, you've heard all these speakers talk about coming back to our first love, coming back to the thing that God's brought you to, come back to intimacy with me, to worship with me, to love me. That's great. And that's part of the prophetic. But the other side, we just forget. The other part of being a prophetic movement 
is the prophetic always wants to know what God's what hear what God is saying to the church, but also the other ear is hear what God is doing in your city. It's always like, listen, shut down your new moon feast. I don't want any more of it. You can stop the singing. I don't want any more worship services. Just stop it. If, if the orphans aren't going to be taken care of, don't do it anymore. Go to Amos. Read the book of Amos sometime if you want to see how. It, it, it's, it's humbling when I read Amos. It's like, man, but God, don't you understand? I got this new pastor's conference coming up. It's going to be killer. And he's like, I like pastor's conference too, but how about we feed the orphans and the widows before we do the pastor's conference? Now, don't hear this in the wrong way. Don't say, he doesn't want me to do a pastor's conference. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have to stop looking at justice and mercy as a secondary thing and not a primary thing. Because for far too long, mercy and justice has been shoved over to this side thing that's like, if we have time and we have money in the budget, we'll get to this. But I'm going to give myself to the, more, to the more meatier things. And we have to be heralds. Do you know what a good news is? Good news is proclaiming and heralding this good news. And we need to be heralds in our churches and in our ministries, um, not trying to do takeovers and tell people they're bad or condemn people, but through grace and love and examples and modeling, we need to show them that the church is actually a part of um, God's agent in the, in the neighborhoods to make a difference. This is also a nice little thing if you ever want to do this. Um, this is a, a way of testing yourself where you are in those five. So I actually could do that. But um, this is really important to understand. If we're going to be an apostolic and a prophetic church, it ha- we have to really get good at this thought of being prophetic. Um, let me jump into, um, let me jump into um, this, pr- this uh, Jeremiah 27, 29. Now, I've probably heard a gazillion messages in my time. I grew up my whole entire life going to church. Um, I, before I, I really got saved, I was church of God growing up. That was, I was far from God. I wasn't foursquare. So I grew up in Alabama, and I was far away from Jesus. And I was, I was Pentecostal, but I was, so that was, that was okay, but I was not the fool. Now I'm foursquare. But when I grew up, I grew up church of God. I grew up going to church. We did Sunday morning, Sunday night, choir practice, choir practice in between, you know, the whole thing, right? We youth group on Wednesday. That my, my whole entire life was that way, okay? Then I grew up, went to L.A., was involved in things. I've heard Jeremiah 29, 11 preached a billion times in my life. And it usually sounds something like this. God has a plan and a future for you, and God wants good for you. And it is awesome. But what we do is we rip it right out of its context. And we rip that scripture right out because we love that part, but we don't like it in its context because it demands something of us. What God is speaking to, he's speaking to his people that are in exile. And those of you who know, if theologically, if you went to seminary, you know that we are technically in exile. What means we're in the here and not yet. That God is present with us and his power is with us, but it won't be in his, till, we, till we get there. That's home. He says we are pilgrims, right? We're nomads walking through here. This is not our home, right? You know, we remember the old songs. It was like, you know, like until the roll is called up yonder, you know, I'll fly away one day, right? Like all these things of thinking that, like, but this is something new for me. It's set, verse 7 says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Like, one of the things I love about where I am, I get to learn from everybody. And one of the things I really lean into is the sovereignty of God. And what I mean by that is this. I have to believe that if God placed me in a neighborhood and he knew, he knew that I was his agent, when he placed me there, he puts everybody on, on, he's putting everybody on warning that they're about to get to hear the gospel. Why? Because God placed me there. And if God placed you 
into a neighborhood. He placed you there, and he's putting everyone in that neighborhood on notice. Hey, I put one of my agents of change into that neighborhood, so get ready. You're about to hear the gospel. You're about to get loved on. You're about to have a ministry. You're about to have something open up. Some homes are going up. Something's going to shift because I put one of my children in this neighborhood. And he says, listen, I put you into place. Seek the welfare of the city. It didn't just say the welfare of the church. Of the nation of Israel. He says, I want you to seek the welfare of the enemy. Now we know our cities aren't our enemy, but this is even a step further. These are people that actually took them in captivity. He says, I want you to seek the welfare of the people in exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, as the city, as the level of the justice in the city rises, it's going to be a better place for everybody, including you. When you make this city a better place, guess who gets to get raised in that city? Your kids do. The schools get better, guess what? Your kids get to go to better schools now. The teachers get more equipped, then that means your kids are going to get more equipped because you're living there, you're integrated there. He says, for thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you, who you're very familiar with, deceive you. Do not listen to the, to the dreams that they dream. I and mean, this is pretty powerful, guys. He's like, don't listen when they come and say, I got this dream and vision from God. He says, listen, if it's going against this, don't do it. He says, for, for, man, it's hard. He says, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, I'm not getting off into false prophecy, but what I am saying is that you see all throughout Scripture, God saying when he places people somewhere, you are yeast in the dough. And it's to affect, and part of that effectiveness, because here's the thing, guys, it, I think Tim Keller said this one time in one of my classes. He said, he says, guys, if, he says, if all the people in the community see is me trying to win them and make me join their club, why should they listen to what I have to say? But when they see the church's front, let me give you an example. You want to eat today? Go for it. You don't have to go to my church service to get fed. You don't, have to get, you don't have to do what I want you to do to get what you need. Now, I know that's controversial. I know that's like, I don't know about that, but I hopefully, hopefully I can give you an example of why that is. Let me give you three approaches to mercy and justice. Now, some of you, I'm off the theology now, so maybe uh, you, can, you can take a deep breath, you know, you can relax. Uh, let me give you three levels of how this works out, okay? Let me give you these three levels. Um, sorry, I needed to... Get my thing back on track. All right, the first level is relief. You can write that down. This is where a lot of us are when we first start. The, the first level to consider is relief, and it actually, it, this is really important because what it does, it establishes presence, care, and compassion. So basically it's like, um, it's what you would call a handout. So you would say uh, it's, it involves giving direct need to, to meet physical needs, uh, material needs, social needs, um, you know, we're going to start up a relief station. We're going to help people in transit. We're going to do some medical care. This is what we would call relief. Like, is there a place in your city that needs some active relief? You can just tell right now, we need medical care right here. We need something going on over here. There's a, there's a medical, like for us, there was a bunch of methadone clinics. We need to set up a relief station right there so we can get people into long-term housing. So we wanted something right there. The second level is development. This is where you get a little deeper. This is second level is where a lot of us probably are um, and, I, and I know why we're here. Uh, we, it's bringing a person into community or into um, self-sufficiency. So in other words, it's actually bringing somebody on a journey towards actually fishing for themselves. 
you know, you heard that statement, right? You can give a man a fish, you know, but if you give him a fishing rod, you know, and teach him how to fish, he can fish his whole entire life. This is where a lot of us like. We like the developmental stage because then we can track our numbers and show that they're actually, people are actually moving. You know what I'm talking about, right? They once were homeless, now they have a home and apartment and have the, have the money to sustain it and have a full-time job, right? So we need to be involved in the church and developing systems are partnering with people on a developmental level. That way we're actually seeing people helped long-term, okay? So the relief is helping on the first level. Second level is development. The third level is the, is the most intense and it's the hardest. It's the reform level. Now you're talking about systematically changing laws, systematically changing zoning, systematically going in there and saying, hey, listen, can we get like more people of color hired in this place? Can we make sure that, that this is something that we do? That I, I noticed this structure, is, it's upside down right now. Right? There are people on the bottom, there's no way for them to get to the top. Like, there's a lot of people that don't have education. We need to get more people involved in here. Like, you're talking like system-wide uh, reform, um, it's, it seeks to change the social conditions and structures that aggravate or actually cause the issues. Because see here, at the relief level, it's great. These people are hurting. Here you're actually helping them move, but here you're dealing with the things that was throwing them into this. So, that's what, so we have to meet at all three levels, but we got to be real careful that we don't skip a level because of our own prejudices. And this is where the gospel comes in. This is where it might be a little bit, all right, my, you guys might not want to talk to me after this. <laughs> uh, my, my clicker's just not working. Go to the next one. Um, a lot of people don't like relief level. I even hear it in the way people structure their sentences, you know. It's like they have to, they have to pray. You might have done this in your own ministries. Um, for a long time, we gave out we gave out Costco and, and simple items to people that were that needed alleviation on their budgets because of gentrification. So we were trying to provide goods for, and services then. And then some people would come in and go, "Well, man, all you're doing is giving handouts to people." And I get a little offended by that. And I actually, well, offended is a nice way of saying what I really feel. Uh, <laughs> because here's the thing. Where did God find you? I remember I was working with this homeless gentleman, and he had defecated on himself, and he, he peed all over him. And you know what I'm talking about. And uh, for some reason, everybody wants to give me a hug when they're in that condition. You know what I mean? You're like, hey. I remember this one guy. <laughs> this was a long time ago. This is actually, actually outside of Angela's Temple. I'll tell you this funny story to lighten the mood because I feel like I need to. Uh, <laughs> Stella was, uh, we were all hanging out at a wedding, and there was this guy outside, and his, his pants were coming down, and he just, you know, he was, he was so drunk, and he was like, he'd peed all over himself, and he's pooped, and, and his pants were coming down, and he was like, oh. And this guy came in the doors. And if you know Angela's Temple, there's all these front doors, and Angela's Temple. So the guy rushed in the door, and uh, he goes, he goes, there's a guy here, and he's naked. And then Stella just spontaneously, she was like where and she just runs outside you know <laughs> and I was like what are you what, what were you open to see what was going on there you know why'd you run outside I mean you got to know my wife to everyone in the thing they thought she wanted she was like where's this naked guy you know but my wife is the guy is the woman that if you see a car accident she wants to pull a car over you know what I mean if there's something if there's trouble she's in it you know what I mean like she's the first one I'm, I can be a coward sometimes she's like right into the fire that's who she is you know so I go out there, and, of course, the guy comes right up to me. He's like, hey, man, he wants to give me a big old hug, you know. And I was like, Ear. I was like, look, man, I love you, dude. 
But I said, but you just peed your pants. <laughs> I am not giving you a hug, dude. <laughs> I said, I love you. And he, I, I was just being honest with the guy. And I just had this long, long spiel with this guy. And, I, and I'll never forget, I w- went home afterward, and I was thinking, we're trying to, we got this guy plugged into uh, some care and some help. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man. And then I thought about this statement. I thought, how disgusting was my sin to God? The scripture says that my sin was so great that it was like a stench in his nostrils. In Proverbs it says, these six things, yes, seven are abomination. They make him want to vomit. And that's my life. And God met me in that state. And he braced me and he cleaned me up. And so when we do relief... We got to get back into the service of doing relief because it's the right thing to do, not because people were afraid people were going to take advantage of it. I've had people tell me a lot of times we do food ministry there, and, they, and one of the questions always comes up, and hopefully I can table this one for you, so don't ask me this question, okay? But the, this is the question I get a lot, um, Pastor. What if somebody missed? What if somebody gets the food that you're trying to give out and they didn't need it? I don't know. I guess they get extra food. Uh, but it's almost like you could say in their brain they were thinking, well, if one person mistreats it, I don't care about the hundreds that get helped. I'll shut this whole thing down for one person I don't think deserves it. And I'm thinking, did you deserve it? When God gave you his grace and he poured his love on you and put a ring on your finger and a robe on your back and shoes on your feet, did you deserve it? Sometimes the most powerful act of mercy and compassion is when they don't deserve it. When you give them a blanket and they already have two. As the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be the, the front line of compassion. They need to know far more. They're, they're, I'm telling you, guys, people in the community, they, don't, they might not know our theology. They might not know our spirit-filled movement. They might know all the things that we believe. But they better know that that church over there, if you're in trouble, they'll help you. So let's dive into a couple of these practical stuff. So where do we start? You want to you say a couple of things uh, about one of the things we break down is this. We say, in every culture, there are things that you affirm. And there are things that you challenge. And so that's a great way to start. Where can you start in your city that you should affirm? You want to give us a couple examples of that stuff? Yeah, for us in New York City, uh, we move there. Education is just, it's... <laughs> it's God. I mean, it's, it's the literally, the, it's like, the idol of the city. I mean, it's just education, which is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's yeah. a great thing. It's just, it, be, it comes before everything. And so for us realizing that that is an actual value of the city that's huge, we decided to really start figuring out ways that we can join and affirm something with them. And how do we come alongside and really begin to help an area of our city that was important? But how it was important, but that it was important and that opportunity was given for all for it to be important, not just certain aspects of it. We happen to live right in East Harlem with our family. So we, because of our journey, have gotten to be able to experience in a small little glimpse 
of what it's like for those, depending on where you live, what it's like for what opportunities of schools you get into, what it's like on all that aspects. And so for us, we, we began to see that that was an actual value. So we began to figure out, well, how can we partner with some education systems to figure out a way to where we see this is a value in our city and it's an, in need. And so how do we join in with our city to begin to meet some needs with that? A lot of that is figuring out within our schools what was the lowest underserved schools in our city in some of those areas sometimes it was it it was partnering with that there's a literacy there's a literacy issue with most of the time if they don't know how to read by the time they're in second or third grade most of the time they're not going to know how they're not going to ever fully be able to understand and fully walk in that and so it's figuring out in your areas where to start is what does your community's value and how are we able as a church because it is not just something that we get to see and yay let's that's awesome. Let's, you know, try to go over there and say hi to some kids and give them some high fives and buy them pizza. It's actually, how do we, though, as a responsibility, as a gospel-believing Christian, somebody who, who, who is in this city to not to build a church but to love our city well, how do we then come walk on and to care about those things? And so for us, it was learning to develop some of those programs for that. Some of the things we do as well is that we have, our, we have a leadership program that we run in our church. And... Uh, um, that they come and we have students that will come and spend 10 months of their time in the city. We train them in um, gospel kind of urban setting impact and um, they get to have an educational piece and that. So it's anyway, we have 18 to 25 years that will come and spend a year of their life with us in the city. If you have any young people, I don't know we're always taking applications. I will say that. But um, what we do is we go and help run school auctions so that we could help schools raise money. And so we go serve them. We go help them run that. Yeah, our and students wait tables. Waiting they, tables, they do all that. Up. We help they do all that so they can make raise so we can help raise money for the schools and those communities to be able to provide the supplies and various things. This is a way for us to be able to not only set up our relief stations in areas that we have all over the city that is meeting e e tangible needs right where people are at, but we're also able to realize this is an area that the city cares about. So how do we allow the gospel to impact that and not only, not only make a gospel impact for those that need that education, but what we're doing at this point now is I've got people from the city now, who aren't really even Christians yet, but a part of programs making a difference in kids' lives because they care about it. And through those relationships and these programs, I'm not only making gospel impact and for the areas of the need and the poor marginalized, but I'm also getting people to get to come care about their city. And they don't even realize what we're even bringing them into. Yeah. And so it's People that are far from way. Christ are actually coming in relationship with other Christians. They're mingling. They're actually coming to Christ. That's just a great way to do that. And so our, our, our city really value, values education. So because of that, so is the gospel. And so we're like, oh. You, you guys believe in education? Well, so does Jesus and so does the church. So that way we can be on the same level ground here. And then as we do that, then we can kind of, as we go down the road, then you could push into some of the things that actually aren't, right, they're actually challenging the culture. Because everywhere you live, every context has things you can affirm and things you can challenge, okay? Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on who should we help. Uh, I'll just say this. Like a lot of people say, we, we help the poorest of the poor. I think I, think, uh, I love Bob Goff. I like listening to him. He, he talked about that in his uh, Everybody Always. He was talking about how, like, you know, for a long time his ministry was called We Reach the Poorest of the Poor. And he was like, he was like what does that mean? Do I pass over? Like, you're not poor enough, you know what I mean? He goes past the kids like, that's the poorest of the poor, you know? Um, I would say this. When you talk about who should we help, uh, the, the question should be this. Who, it, the Bible says, Love your, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. So when you start thinking about this, you've got to be careful. This is why the gospel needs to penetrate our hearts. Because if you think you, you got where you were because you pulled your bootstraps up, you, you're, you're living in legalism, not the gospel. 
Because you can, you can fall into, you can follow, you can miss the gospel through religion as well as irreligion. See, because religion says this, I, by my choices, I got where I am today. And see, we don't like that because that actually puts us on the same field. But we only got to where we got because of grace. And that's where we need to live. And so what, so what I would say is, if any of your neighbors have a lower level than you do, then that's the people you serve. So rather than thinking, because I heard this, people say this a lot. Well, and the reason I say that, because a lot of us say this. Well, you know, I live in a town where there's not really, nobody really needs anything. And I say, well, is there anyone in your neighborhood that lives worse than you do? Because that's where you start. You don't go, well, well they're, they're doing okay. Well, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel, they, they, the early church sold everything they had, and they spread it out to anyone who had a need among them. And so that's the first way. So I would say, who do you help? You help anyone that's less off than you are. Okay? The reason I start that elementary is because a lot of people use a barrier thinking that there's people, because I don't live in a city like New York City, there's not a lot of people. I guarantee you there are many people in your neighborhoods that are in desperate need of things. Um, I, I'm running out of time. Help and accountability. This is where I would say we need to make sure we're thinking about this. In other words, like, am I helping or I'm actually enabling? Okay? So... I don't want to make the enabling, the, the legalism, you know, hammer, right? So what I'm saying is this. I do want structures in the developmental stage that are actually helping people move forward, and I want to keep them accountable for their own progress. I want to work with my brother and say, you know, he's working with me. He's my pastor, and I'm working, and he, I'm, I'm, a, I'm dealing with drugs, and he's working with me, and then he, ha- he, he is holding me accountable. If I want to stay in this program, I have to follow these rules. But here's the thing that I've learned. If someone doesn't follow my rules and they get outside of that program, I still love them and let them be a part of the program. Not the program, but the society, right? Because we're not kicking people out of, out of Jesus' love. We just might need, for whatever reason, for their own self, they just can't be a part of this program, okay? And then the last one would be, how should the gospel impact the way we serve? Now, I really shared that earlier, too, but I just couldn't wait. Uh, it should impact it because of this. I was, I was dirty. Without Jesus, I'm... No one can get there through merit. And so this is what I mean by that. How should it affect you? Uh, we thought of, let me give you some practical things. We thought of, is there any way possible I can do a giveaway without having lines? Like, it makes your Instagram look better to have a long line of people waiting for your backpack, but it doesn't make those people feel better. Right? It's like, look at this line, dude. Instagram, put it on the gram. This is awesome. You know, it's like, it's great. But, like, it doesn't make the people waiting feel like they have value. So, yeah, so how do we, how do we instill gospel-centered identity where people say, I am, I am a child of God. Because you're a child of God, we're going to put chairs out. Because you're a child of God, we're going to figure out a way to bring you indoors. Because you're a child of God. Like, I'm not saying that you, listen, when you first start something, it's probably a line. But in our heads, we need to be thinking if the gospel implications are actually meeting the people's needs, then we should be treating these people like God's kids. Every one of us, me and everyone else, need to be treated like God's kids. So how do we create an environment the way we serve? Let me tell you another way that happens. We have to let the gospel penetrate our martyr mentality. Right? I'm serving. I'm doing well. I don't have to serve because of the gospel I get to serve. So you know how anybody here, if you've done ministry, compassion ministry for longer than two days, okay, you're going to get that evil party is going to rise up and, and you're going to say this. Uh, somebody, you're going to be passing out, I'll use blankets. You're going to pass out blankets and, they're gonna, and the guy's going to come up and they're going to be like, can I have two blankets? And you're going to be like, you sorry sucker. Just take one blanket. Did you pay for this? This is free. 
I mean, I'm thinking that way. I'm like, dude, you don't need two blankets or whatever. You know, I was like, can I have two pieces of chicken? Whatever. You're like, just take the one. It's free. It's, you know, or this is even worse. You have anything else besides chicken? It's free. It's free. If you want a menu, go somewhere else. I mean, this is all I got. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you talking about? But that's the evil in me, right? Right? That's the evil in me. But if I'm not careful, that will wear on you, and you'll wear, and it will, it will drag down the mercy ministry where it's actually an obligation. It's not the joy of the Lord. And that affects your, your ability to impact people for Jesus. Because they can read that. They're like, you're just here because you think this is putting another notch on your merit badge. You don't actually care about me. It's what Pastor said earlier. You don't care about me. You're thinking you're doing something for the community. I am the community. So important that we get these things down. So that's my whole spiel in a nutshell. But I think it's very important for us to think, when it comes to mercy and justice, we have to think of it like, like I do my Sunday morning service. I love Sundays. And I've, I've been a part of big, huge churches, small churches. I've done that. Sunday is the most important. If, as goes Sunday, so goes the church. I've done, I know all those statements. I know all of them. And I'm not saying that they're not real. I'm not saying that there's not some truth in that. What I'm saying, though, is we do have to look in our budgets. I'll say this. You look at your budget, it'll tell you what you value. When we look at our budget, I mean, not being, man, I'll probably never get asked again to speak. <laughs> but, like, but, like, if, if we're, like, I want to invest in padded sidewalks, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause in, in, in super padded. I mean, like, now that we're in the, the Sunday school game where it's, like, our kids don't even have to walk on soft. They walk on p- pillow tops. And they have, we come to our church, so they got super helmets for everybody. And then they, they get the children's gyms, and, and it's awesome. And then people are hurting right outside our doors. I'm not saying don't have that, but don't have that at the exclusion of the other thing. Let mercy and justice be a part of what it means to be a believer in Christ. He has freely given to us. We should freely give to our community. So now you can just destroy me. It's Q&A. Now it's your turn to attack me. So Q, questions? Brad, as an outsider, how did you and your family penetrate a community that you were not from? And who were the people at Peace that kind of opened the doors for you? Ooh, really good. Uh, okay, I'm going to be totally transparent. I spent too long doing my own thing, not early on, uh, because, uh, but this has to do with my own personality, and maybe this will bless you. Uh, I have a little bit, when I was growing up, I grew up in Alabama, so I have to struggle with a little bit of a poverty mentality, and what I mean by that is this, I I don't live under that in Jesus' name, so please don't come after me and say, you don't have to speak that over yourself, like, I I went to that seminar, I I don't speak that over myself, okay, okay, I don't, I'm free in Jesus' name, but I'm also understanding how the enemy works on me, okay, and so I naturally feel like I'm I'm a burden to people, so I didn't go to people because I didn't want to. I just didn't want them to think I was a, a vampire trying to suck off what they've worked for. But he's absolutely right. I was wrong. The first thing you need to do when you enter the city is you need to find out who are the peacekeepers of that city, and you need to go to those people and humble yourself, tell them your your dream, what God's placed in you, and you need to partner with them. A lot and I of, didn't do that early. I'm sorry. sorry. A, no, a lot of the ways that um, we have seen now, because we've been there 10 years, a lot of the ways that we've seen is, Really start, it's great, go, go and join the city meetings that are happening, your yes, neighborhood meetings. huge. Go, we, in, in Harlem, I have our team, if, our, if they're working at our Harlem sites, we partner with NYCHA communities. That is basically the New York City Housing Authority, which other areas would call it the projects. They call it houses in the city, in New York City. And so 
we have, there's different boards for every area. So if we're at a site, I'm like, we got to be presented, we got to be representing in those boards so that the community feels like we're listening to the needs, not opposing a need. Because we walk into a lot of communities and we think we know a need or we, we don't know the struggle. We think we know, or we have an outside view. And it's really, really important to go and listen. Do a lot of listening before you're speaking. Ask questions. You will get some great answers. D don't go so. with a clipboard, by the way, because clipboards can, in, in like certain areas can yes. seem like you're the police. Yes. It can seem like you're like, seriously, it can seem like actually it's not, when you go into really poor areas, a lot of times, they're, especially in my city, they're afraid of gentrification. They're afraid of development mm -hmm. or developers. They're afraid of a lot of stuff. So, like, um, losing their homes. So, when you go, have people quit for, like, two or three questions off the top of their head, not on sheets of paper. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, gentrification is hard. It's basically what it does, it, it, as the city pushes out, housing and development starts rising up in very poor areas. So, we're, we used to be a very area where it had low income, a low, uh, low rents. The rents skyrocket, and then the people become rent burdened so much that they have to get out of the area. So basically, people who have indigenous people that have been living there for a long time now get pushed out of the area because 15 Starbucks come in there, and the, the, the nature of the whole place. So now people that used to live there can't even live there where their grandparents live and other people live because they get pushed out. So a neighborhood gets aesthetically nicer, right? But the people who were living there before don't get to enjoy it. They get pushed out, and new people move into their neighborhood. And so because of that, it creates a lot of tension and a lot of fear because you're feeling like, okay, it's great that you want to make things nice. Even when you start talking to people in there, you say, I'm going to make things nice. Then people go, well, what does that mean? Because we think it's fine here. And if you make it too nice, then I won't be able to actually afford rent anymore. And what you're trying to do to help is actually going to move me out of this neighborhood. So, you, so that's why what Stella says is so important. you got to listen, listen, listen to, in the community boards, yeah. Yeah, and just a lot of, um, yeah, talking to the, 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 the peacekeepers and the gatekeepers are just, it's learning the neighborhoods. And this is where as a church, or if you're just beginning, or maybe you are, it's really important that we aren't just um, a community that comes into a community for a one-stop event and then never shows up again. Consistency is, is it's, it's the so as currency. Yeah. It's as the currency to get what he said, get credibility. Mm -hmm. As you're praying about the areas, you need to really count the cost of what it means to actually commit to a community and love on a community and the consistency that it would take. And as your church community and as your team, understanding when we say, when we say we're walking into our Wagner houses and our Tapton King houses in East Harlem, when we go and we meet with the NYCHA house's presidents and we say, hey, and they're, they're bored, and we say, this is what we'd love to do, this is how we want to partner with you, and we begin to develop a relationship with them. The minute we begin to talk that way, I have to know that I'm ready to say, well, we're consistent and we're going to be there every Friday afternoon, that I'm actually going to be there. And this isn't just, oh, we're going to do a backpack giveaway, and then cool, well, we'll be here next year for a backpack giveaway because my church, like, loves to wear their shirts and, like, come and serve. That's cool, and you're meeting a need, but the reality for the gospel impact that we long to see in our churches and in our communities, and we long to see our churches represent the DNA of what our communities look like, it's going to take counting the cost and some consistency, and it's messy, and it's, it's a lot of mundane days to get the great days it's more mundane days and it's more showing up and feeling like your relationships take time
to get to know the people in our communities, to understand, to hear, to listen. It's consistency of showing up week after week and year after year, and those relationships connect to another relationship. And that you have to look at it as the long game. It's not a sprint of a of a fifteen hundred you know race. It's a it's a long game, and so with that, you have to really count the cost. What it's going to take to see the long game of, of community and a beautiful beautiful restoration and being able to see that happen because it's it's a consistency game that we play. Yeah, and, and I would say this too: if you're a church, say you're on the opposite. I've, I have a lot of pastors on the opposite end. They they have a church that's already established in a certain place, and they've not really they've not really dived into this area. Uh, one of the things that's been really helpful, too, and I hope this is part of the question you asked, was you could also partner with people that have been doing it for so, so long. So now we're trying to, instead of trying to like putting your own brand reinvent on Reinvent the whole wheel, yeah. <laughs> there are so many organizations, you can go straight in the organization and say, look, these are our five or six or three or maybe start out with one approved organizations that we're going to send all of our volunteer efforts. Uh, every year we're going to cut them a check for during Christmas or whatever it is. We're going we're gonna to put all our efforts into that thing because there's no reason why your church has to be the professional ministry. There's a lot of ministries already doing stuff. What I'm saying is, is just, just make it a part of what you're doing. So find those people because there are people that are doing incredible work. And then, then, but then the thing is, don't just, so like if you say you want to do the backpack giveaway, do the backpack giveaway in conjunction with an after school program. That makes sense. Now you got longevity because you did it and your church came, you volunteered, it was amazing for the church. They got to give back. It was amazing for the congregation and it's amazing for the community because now you got all those kids that came, they got actually plugged into some after school programs and they're going to be helped for months and months and years and years down the road. And a lot of churches in the communities like to work together too. Absolutely. And so, and some can some you as you join and work. We have churches that will come and serve with us in our downtown community in Manhattan. And the great thing is, some of them are doing even greater aspects and something we're not doing. But because we get to partner together in some of our bigger annual events, I know that that community is being reached. And maybe it's where another group is coming in. We partner with the uh, Metro Ministries, and they come in and they run sidewalk Sunday schools, and we partner with them. And then we work on getting the adults to come into our, our church community across the city and then we have others that come in and, and are, are, are doing a uh, uh, dietitian and oh yeah we'll work we'll work with Bowery Mission Rescue Mission you don't don't feel like you have to be the church that does it all. there's no way in fact you've got to count the cost of that as well and so it's just we're saying is partnership and collaboration is huge and it, it and you by joining with others you're still putting on the forefront of who you are as a church and as a community and caring yeah. about the needs and of you your can city. equip your members too i'll get your question you can equip your members too it's pretty powerful to empower them say it say if somebody in your church right a uh, um, church member leaves and they meet a homeless person right now what do they do they shuffle their pockets. They, they go through the thing. Should I give them money, not money? Do you need to buy some food? Is there something, you know, the, the whole thing. Um, if you have partner organizations as a church, you can create these little packages and little things for all your church members. They can put a little care package, a little small thing they put in their purse. It's got a card with it to connect them to the local mission that you partner with. It's very powerful. It's very powerful in conjunction. Sir, back there, yeah. We probably meet a lot more than other people because of the nature of kind of how we're set up. But that really comes down to how many events you do every year and what you do. I mean, it could be quarterly. It could be. So really, I, I've seen it done a lot of different ways. We, we, meet, at, we meet at least with the, like Chelsea Elliott and stuff, we're meeting monthly with them. But you might meet quarterly, and that might be fine if you're meeting with leadership. And, and then or maybe you could 
Dubai yearly. I don't know, but you, you want to probably you want to stay on the same page. Quarterly probably is pretty good. Um, but this is where, too, if you're, if you're like me, you're doing your Rolodex of how much time you have in your schedule, and you're like, oh, my God, i got to put another thing on there. That might be kind of hard. Um, so I would say have somebody in your organization that's meeting with us. So like the community board members, those are weekly meetings. And we have somebody going to the community boards on a weekly basis. So, uh, but that's different than everyone rallying the troops. You, you're not going to be able to get that many people's schedules on the same. It's just not practical to think less probably than quarterly because that's a lot of people. That, you, that you're talking about. If you're talking about we're going to get the police involved and the precinct involved, we're going to get you know, the, you know, the school, we're going to talk to the school and see if we can get one of the principals or the vice principal to come to the meeting. You're talking at that level. It's, you can't get too many meetings. Yeah, go for it. That's great, yeah. That's great, absolutely. That's excellent, yeah. Excellent. Yes, thank you so much, too. Yeah, that was excellent. That's excellent. It's really good. Um, I think you got to think of discipleship. I don't want to do the, I'm not, I'm not Anglican or anything, so I'm not going to do the Engel scale on you or anything, but I think you have to back up. Like, I live, it's easier, I'll say this, it's easier for people that live in a more, I don't want to use the word secular, but I guess I'll have to, more secular society. In other words, like, where you have less and less people who are familiar with Christianity. It's easier sometimes for me in discipleship because I actually think, like, for, like when I meet my staff, um, most people check the salvation box. They're like, if, like, how many salvations do you have? If you're in a very hardened, very secular culture, um, I actually start counting how many conversations did you have, right? Like, that's a win for us. Did you have a God conversation with somebody that's far away from God? Because that might, that might move them one step closer to that, like, decision for God. So I would say, instead of thinking of them in two different forms, just thinking about backing up the, instead of thinking the 50-yard line where we're starting, we're going to start discipleship back at the, at, the, at the relief station, like my brother said here. Oh, wow, this is great. Yes, this is a, this is a, oh, this is a better way of doing it, yes. Um, th- this is great, yeah. So this is perfect, this is, yeah, so this is discipleship right here. So I'm meeting people that are far away from God in relief, and the thought is, is always helping people. We always say discipleship in the simplest form is, is people moving. So it's really just like helping people move that one step. So like relief to sustainability to coming to church to getting involved. So you just need to broaden your discipleship and not think like discipleship's just if they're doing class. No, discipleship started with come and follow me before it was, y'all make your fishers of men. And for us, you know? some of the way we do, some of our outreaches have moved into, uh, like, for example, in our, really in our 
couple different of the housing projects that we do some of our, we partner with and do some of our programs in, we run a community dinner weekly. And at that community dinner, it's basically just this fun neighborhood community dinner that we do and they come out and the community comes out and we just eat together. We train our team in conversation pieces. And so it's similar to where the, the discipleship is kind of trying to be integrated into what we do so that there is conversation happening and meeting them where they're at. But in that conversation, the right questions are being asked, and we're at least starting somewhere with it. And then for us, because we are a church and we're not just an outreach ministry, everything, our heart's desire is always linking them into a church community where we're at. Yeah, I would say it this way. We call it evangelistic pathways. So uh, all the pastors who know what I'm talking about, like you're thinking about how do I get people that are far away from God into church? Uh, I look at my mercy and justice as another evangelistic pathway. So like, I'll just like uh, I'll say, okay, this person's far away from God. We're going to do a missional coffee community, and from there we're going to invite them to a group because they won't go to church first, but they might go to a group. And then from a group, they'll be willing to go to a service. Right, in that same way, I can create an evangelistic pathway over here and say, uh, they'll go to my relief thing, they'll go to this thing, and if I can get them there, then maybe they'll go to this event we're going to have on mercy and justice and people that care about that, and from that event, they might, they might say, hey, we also have this thing on Sunday, why don't you come to that? So I'm always thinking about that, those pathways. Somebody else have a question? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, anything you want. Okay, I'll try. That's very difficult. That second one, the passion was. Uh, uh, so the first question was, how do we what? Say it again. Oh, missionary pastor. Okay, okay. That's a good question. Um, the hard part with that one is um, when I moved to New York City, the, when we moved and we planted a church, I wrongfully thought I was, this is my own, I thought I was pastoring a, in a, an American city, and that was wrong. So I am a missionary. Yeah, I would have to say um, we're both. With a pastoral heart. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because I live in an international city. Mm -hmm. So when I lived in Alabama, it was 4th of July, right? We had the huge thing. God bless America, 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 America. So awesome in America, America. Everybody in America, you know, and then I moved to New York City and was like, what's so great about America? They had a, uh, this past 4th America's of July, okay. the park across the street from us had an anti-America party. So, yeah. we, so like, again, oh. it's learning. You when 30% you, of your congregation is not from America. Yeah. And then you're up there preaching, you're like, I better change my sermons a little bit because this is, this is not nationalism. This so is we about are, the gospel. We are pastors <laughs> at heart. That's who we are on a mission field and locally. It, we're, yeah. we're local missions, 100%. I, I, New York City is local missions for sure. And so I, I would have to say that so it's both. When you get into that, when I get into I don't want to go back to APES, but if you get into that, though, are you a shepherding, is that in that DNA? Like, do you have a shepherd's DNA? In other words, do you, like I always say this, if you're looking in a group, it's the person that's one, the person that's a shepherd and a pastor is the one that's worried about who's not here right now. They're like, so and Cindy's not here. I wonder if she's okay. Right? The apostle's not thinking that way. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? They're thinking about system structures, where we're going. The prophet's thinking, we need to pray more. We need to get on this thing. We're not listening to God, you know. And the teacher's wanting you to listen to them, right? But the shepherd has that heart. It's like, who's not here? And I need to make sure. So that's that. The second one you were saying, how do you, I, I can tell you how do you maintain passion. Stay around the need. I think yeah. you've got to keep the need in front of you. Yes. For sure. I think so. The passion. Um, I am a big on, for me, I just, if God's voice is led me there and his voice spoke it there is a grace that God gives you to live a life that maybe others wouldn't have that grace to be graced with but I believe that God knew that we would be living the life in New York City and raising our four kids there and our kids going to public schools our kids taking the trains to and from uh, school every day Um, I think God knows it and in it because I know that I know that he brought us there there's a grace and the passion there I think it's I know I'm doing what God's but I know I'm where and doing what God's called me to do. And in that, it's an easy for me to ask that. Um, no matter if it's the hard days, no matter whatever it looks like for me, the most question for me is the passion, I think, comes from knowing I'm, in, I'm, I'm where. Another point of passion is realizing how much of it is the passion built uh, for God, mm. okay? Uh, yeah, and how much of the passion is connected to my success. And that's a real introverted thing there. And I've went through a long, dark And in the 10 years, we could have been on a different spectrum of some of that. Yeah, where I was, <laughs> I was having anxiety, and I was having problems sleeping. I was having all these problems, and it, I thought it was because the church, but really it was because I felt like God was disappointed with the way I was doing it. And that was a point of passion. So I would always say it's always connected there. And then, like she said, Nehemiah went to the wall when it was broken down. He wanted to see the broken down. You need to see it. You need to feel it. You need to touch it. You need to hear those stories. If you don't, you'll get, it'll get sterile. Yes, sir. Yes, can you do it right after church, right after this? I only have five more minutes. Uh, absolutely, but okay. There it is. That's preacher. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's fine. Some, somebody else. That's okay. You know, no forgiveness. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, they're going to present one for you in just a second. Uh, I would say join a network of people that actually really care about it. I'm telling you, we, uh, the Foursquare has a compassion network, and I don't want to steal their thing. But this is, I mean, it's really important because you're going to get to hear from all these people, and they're going to be feeling your stories, and then you're going to get to share what God's doing in other cities too, and it's going to, yeah. it, it's kind of that draft effect. It it's, drafts you up I, I'm that. always, always looking how other people are doing it in their cities and learning and always seeing, not only in others, but really willing to see what else is happening in my own yeah. city. And that helps me be around, just like these places are great where we're at work as pastors and people in ministry, when we rub arms with those that are doing things just like we are in other places, you're encouraged. It's the same thing in any of the field. You need to, because some of us are going to have that extra. We believe that God has called churches to have this as a forefront and all. But yeah. there are those that are going to feel like it's, for me, it's, it, I just, I know it's, it's, it's encouraging to find others that do that. Yeah. So be a part of a network, listen, really research and learn. We're in a day and age where you can listen to all podcasts and that. So, uh, but you can also get our number as well to be encouraging to you as well. But we're I'll a part of the say compassion reach network too. reach out to other people with different gift set than you. That's encouraging because then they can help you a little bit where you might be having some blind spots. One more question and we're done. One more. 
Anybody have another one? Not that we have to have another one, but if we have one more, we want to make sure we get that in before we turn it over. Anything else? All right. Oh, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's a excellent question. Yep, the, I will. The, the question was, how do you know if you're ready to launch out and, and run a nonprofit status, meaning starting a separate 501c3 separate that runs in conjunction with the church, but it's its own separate 501c3? couple of things. This is very practical, okay? One is liability. You know, you're going to think about liability. And in other words, like, how much is this going to play into it? By the way, there's some better Foursquare people in here that tell me if I'm I'm breaking something. They can, they'll come and they'll find you after this and correct everything I just said. Okay. But I would say liability too. Uh, liability from what you're doing, you know, um, because that's important. It depends on how, how much you're planning on doing, right? If it's just a church outreach, you're doing something like that, it's great. But depending on how much you're going to go into that. The other part of the nonprofit side is not so much about the protection or the status. It's about the board that's going to focus on that. So you need to think how much intentionality needs to happen here. Like you so say, if you see God breathing on something, it's like a say a group home or something. All of a sudden, it's like it's getting swooped up. You're actually limiting its ability to really grow if you try to keep it up under the umbrella all the time. Sometimes, given it its own board, it doesn't mean it can't stay technically in the house. It just means it needs its own board. It needs its own people fundraising. Because it, it's bigger than just that. God's doing something bigger than just my thing. And I think sometimes we're not careful. We try to keep that thing under our wing because it so that would be that and also that would be what? the donations a lot of times you can get bigger bigger corporate donations and foundations and things that will give to a faith-based nonprofit, but not a church and so that is when you know when you're starting to want to reach needs on a different level we knew in our end we were it was always the church and then in 2013 is when we launched to begin to to file as a, a separate 501c3 that are and that is what my day-to-day is I work as the executive director for Dream Center NYC Inc and um, then we have our New York City Dream Center Foursquare Church and so it's all known as the Dream Center but we have two separate boards and one board helps us be able to really do the mercy and justice aspect of our church with a full functioning board where we go after grants and we go after things and then um, but it's really those in our church just know us as the Dream Center nobody knows it's two separate things but it does help us reach a bigger need we are welcome to talk afterwards as well to, to maybe give you some better indicators. I'd have to hear your story to answer yours. But I would seek counsel on it. Starting its own uh, nonprofit is its own thing and really seek counsel on those because you're dealing with IRS and various things and so be really careful when you go do that because you're now separating yourself from your church counsel and that board and that wisdom that comes from that so you really need to know that you are ready for that. Could we thank the Lord for this gift of inspiration? You guys are, are a blessing. Uh, real quick, we have a couple of things. Rusty's going to come in a moment. Uh, they referred to the Compassion Network. Sue, are you still here? Sue, would you just stand up? This is Sue Spousta. She heads up the Foursquare National Compassion Network. And if you put your name on here with your email, Sue, we have two full, three full pages of people that are interested in more resources. And Rusty's gonna share about two of those resources. But if you'd like to be on the monthly calls, 
Uh, it's a Zoom call. It's really encouraging. Those of you that need some encouragement, what's God doing around our nation? Some people aren't on every month and so forth. But these, here's a couple of things that I, that I heard from Brad and Stella that I want to highlight. If you're not committed for 10 years, don't start what you're not going to finish. And that shouldn't give fear on, like, not starting something. It should give you encouragement that the seeds that you plant and are planting now at year two, three, four, and you're feeling like there's no harvest, guess what? Those seeds are going to come back, and they're going to be fruitful. Second thing is the body of Christ. When somebody asked the question about the body of Christ, like, where do we really kind of fit? Should we be doing everything? Think of it. If we looked at a church, you would say there are givers, there are leaders, there are servers, there are administrators, all of the gifts. Think of that in your community as churches. There are some churches that have tens of millions of dollars to give. And there are other churches that have the gift of administration. They have the gift of leadership. Would you figure out where your church or your ministry fits in your community and then come together to serve that in collaboration and partnership. As well as, remember, the four-square DNA is interdenominational worldwide evangelism. That's great stuff, Durant. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hey, as uh, Pastor Durant said, we are part of the Compassion Network, and I'll plug that real quick, Talk, tell you about your resources, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, the Compassion Network I came to about a year ago. I don't even remember how I found it, to be honest. But um, I got connected with Sue and then plugged into this network. And we are, our Dream Center is about a year old. And so it's been huge for us to learn some of these things, to be encouraged, um, to be able to share resources, bounce questions off people. Um, you know, Brad and Stella are some of those people and, and, and a bunch of others. So it's just been a great, great, great resource for us um, as we've started this journey. So I highly recommend that. You check it out. We would love for you to be part of it and uh, just glean from one another. That's like iron sharpening iron, right? It's good. It's good stuff. So, so check that out. The second thing is um, we did, some of you got a flash drive when you came in. We only had a few of those, so we tried to give it to like the first people that came in. But if you didn't receive a flash drive um, on that sign-up sheet, and if you didn't uh, check the box, you can. There's one on the back as well. Um, you can check the box to have those same exact resources emailed to you. And so a couple of those resources are something called Overcoming Obstacles, which is a fantastic way um, to, to reach, reach students. Um, it's geared from K all the way up through high school. Um, I actually, our organization uses that for, for, uh, to teach life skills to some at-risk students um, in high school. And it's a great, incredibly thorough, in-depth curriculum that you can use to teach kids life skills, even down at the elementary level, from character things to, um, to how to find a job when they're teenagers. So just absolutely incredible. Make sure you check that out. Highly recommend it. Um, there's something called the um, Incarnational Training Framework, which we're actually walking through right now um, in, our, in, our, um, in our online calls. And it just is really challenging us with how we look at things, the thinking missional and incarnational and things like that. It's incredible, and it will challenge your thought process, encourage you, spur you on, and I highly recommend you check that out as well. Um, I think, I believe what's on the flash drives and the resources that will be available, they are snippets, sample versions. Um, so we, we reached out to, actually Sue reached out to these companies to get permission, and they just ask if you'd like to use it, just go online to their website, sign up their free resources, 
it just helps them to track. It helps them to get funding so they can keep doing this for more people. So if you're interested and you like those resources, make sure you sign up online to get the full version. Um, I know Overcoming Obstacles will blow your mind with how much is there. So, um, And then uh, Pastor Durant has a Serve, serve the City manual um, available as well. So make sure you check that out. But thank you so much for being here with us. Wasn't it good? Awesome. Amen. Well, hey, go out, serve your city, love on people. Pastor Brad asked if you wouldn't mind if you could go right here and leave them some feedback so they can grow and continue to help people. Be blessed. Go reach people for Jesus.